Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, LifePoint Church. It's good, to, it's good to see all of you here today. Well, as many of you know, uh, the Supreme Court on Friday overturned the Roe v. Wade uh, that will impact federal abortions at the federal level, kind of moving it back to the state level. Before we even kick off our message today, I just wanted to share three thoughts on what I think is a very delicate issue. First, to say that I am grateful for the decision as I believe that unborn children have always been on heaven's radar as we believe the scripture in Psalm 139 reveals that we are fearfully and wonderfully made knit together in the mother's womb and we recognize at the same time that there are two beating hearts inside of a pregnant mom. And we want to recognize the dignity and honor both the baby and the mother. And let me just say why we believe that, because for us this is not a political decision. When we want to honor life, we don't take our cues from an elephant or a donkey. We take our cues from scripture and a loving king and creator of this universe. Secondly, I just want to say in addition to recognizing there are two beating hearts inside every pregnant mom, we want to offer grace to women. Dealing with a difficult decision maybe to have had an abortion in the past or even recognizing the struggle of your pregnancy now. And if that's you, we believe there is abundant grace from Jesus to you. And we believe that more support is needed for women. And we want to offer not only to be a supporting place, but to point you to local organizations that we have partnered with and feel excited about. Organizations like Real Options in Allen and Plano. And third, as Jesus followers, this is where we get to offer true love and support, especially for moms and especially for women. And my prayer is like never before that we, would be the community we aspire to be in offering not only words and not only opening up our mouths, but opening up our homes. Opening up our homes to foster children, to adopted children, to single parents, to parentless children. And that we wouldn't be pointing fingers, instead we would be extending hands in this community. So we believe it offers enormous challenges, and I think we know that. And we just want to offer God's immeasurable love in this season, above everything else. We don't want to make a point. We want to make a difference. And we want to show love. We want to be pro-abundant life. That's what Jesus says, that you would have abundant life. And that means we serve babies, we serve moms, we serve dads, we serve all. So with that said, would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much that in this season you love us even though we don't understand every issue. It's just impossible. We wouldn't be so arrogant to think that we do. We don't want to curse the darkness. We want to light a candle. And we don't want to point fingers. We want to extend hands. God, use us in new ways to show your love to everybody in our community, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, as we kick off this message, I wanted to share a question that I asked on my Facebook this week, and that is, what are you afraid of? And you may 
uh, have a lot of answers, but let me share with you some of the answers that were shared with me. One of the first things that was shared on my Facebook was, I am afraid of long sermons. <laughs> you laughed a little too much at that one. You needed to laugh, I know. Somebody else said, I am afraid of falling asleep in a sermon. I wish some of you were actually afraid of that. I have a worship leader friend who said, I am afraid of people who clap on the wrong beat, beats one and three instead of beats two and four. <laughs> Sorry. Somebody said, hey, in this heat, I am afraid of no air conditioning. Or I'm afraid of, maybe this is you. Somebody said, I'm, a, I'm afraid of rate, rising gas prices. Somebody's honest and said, I'm just afraid of change. Here, here are four. If, if, if this is you, if you're afraid of any of these four, would you raise your hand? If you're afraid of spiders, heights, needles, or snakes, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, that's a lot of us. Yeah. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Some people said they were afraid of the dark. Pastor George is one of my favorites. He said, I am afraid of nothing except my wife's driving. For what it's worth, Cheryl is here, and my money's on Cheryl. What do y'all say? Yeah, yeah. Somebody said, I'm afraid of the 24 presidential election. I'm afraid of inflation. Somebody said, I'm afraid of not mattering. I'm afraid of a disease. I'm afraid of COVID. I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of the death of a loved one. And the most common answer was, I'm afraid of the unknown the uncertainty of the future. And that isn't new to us, is it? In fact, I was reading again this week the story of Jeremiah Clary. Back in 1931, almost 100 years ago now, we know that from history there was in the panhandle of Oklahoma this unique situation where there was almost a swirling blackness that kept coming over the state. Jeremiah was very familiar with this challenge, and so he began to do the familiar routine of taking wet rags and putting them around the doorframe, trying to keep the dust out of his house during this terrible season. And one summer, scorching winds came through and took topsoil by the, by the tons out of counties and even out of the state. Originally, the Clary family had moved to Oklahoma because they dreamed of one day having fields of wheat, and that's exactly what they experienced until 1931, when all of a sudden everything changed because the rains stopped. And the worst part wasn't that they lost a harvest. The worst part was the drought lasted for a decade. A decade. And people began to experience this loose wind and the heat and, and, the, and the baking sun and the drought, and it would sort of create almost this apocalyptic Hollywood scene of a black cloud. One reporter came through and called it a dust bowl, and the term stuck. Oh, the 1930s in Oklahoma was tough because every farmer, like Jeremiah Clary, in order to plant a little bit of seed, it would take one month's salary and after five straight years of planting with zero income, they just couldn't continue this routine much longer. And then they begin to lose courage to plant the seed. And all of a sudden, they begin with a mounting weight of uncertainty. They begin to have a psychological aversion to plant the very thing they needed to do in order to get the income 
they so desperately needed. Because they begin to think, well, what if another storm comes? What if I end up being completely wiped out? What if there's so much about the future that's unknown and uncertain? Here's what's odd. He had these seeds that he knew were in his barn and were worthless unless planted, but because he only had one little bit round of sowing left available to him, he began to protect it. He began to wrestle with, if I plant this, I could lose everything. But if I don't plant it, I will never get anything. And the window of the season was about to close and he faced an overwhelming dilemma in that decision, do I plant my remaining seed and risk what's happened the last five years or do I do it one more time? You see, here's what I believe about Jeremiah Clary. He wasn't a greedy man. He was just face to face with fear of the unknown. And in 2022, you and I, I think we are in a dust bowl of sorts. Because think about it, in the last two years what we've been navigating with this pandemic, I don't know about you, but aren't you done with the term unprecedented times? Can we just have some normal times? And we, we can't help but think, well, wait, what's going to happen next? Is COVID going to come back with a vengeance? That's the shadow that's still there. And then we think about our financial markets and we look and we say, hey, are financially dark days ahead for us? with inflation, with all that's on the horizon? What if? Maybe for you, you, you look at your own life and you've got things that are going on that are difficult with relationships or with your finances or with your health or with people that you love and you think, what if? I don't know what's coming. There's so many unknowns, aren't there? And we look at decisions like this weekend and we see the political divide and it feels like the, the, the division keeps getting wider and wider and we just think, man, what if? What does the future look? It just feels so uncertain. And so we do what Jeremiah Clary did. We take wet rags and we just put them around the door frame and we're trying to protect what we have and we're trying to keep the dust out and we're trying to protect our stuff from what's out there because we don't know what's next and we don't exactly know what to do. I think we all feel the weight of the uncertainty right now. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we have a crop to produce because Jesus said that we are to go and make disciples. And so we begin to weigh in, well, how do I go and make disciples when I have all the unknowns that are ahead of me? I, can't help but wrestle because I have a limited amount of time on this earth and I have a limited amount of seed. What do I do? What if? And so today, we're going to talk about generosity. And maybe, maybe you, earlier in your life, even were audacious enough to have a dream of being a generous person. Maybe you were one of those people that you didn't dream that you would help some people along the way. You dreamed that you would be so generous that you would make an impact in this world. But life's gone along and you found yourself increasingly cautious, trying to keep the dust out and protect what's inside. And now you dream less about being generous and you ask more often, am I giving too much? Is there gonna be enough left for me? So here's the question. Under a mounting weight of uncertainty that all of us feel right now, how in the world can I be generous? Maybe the question is, is it even wise to be generous and is it possible to be generous in light of all the uncertainty 
the war, fixed income, costs going up, uncertainty. And I believe just like Jeremiah Clary, most of the time Christians aren't being greedy. We're standing face to face with uncertainty. And we aren't sure what to do next. Now, if you're new here today, and maybe somebody invited you to come sit with them today, and you've heard about churches that always talk about money, and here you show up, just know, as the pastor of this church, I intentionally try and talk about money one time every year. And you pick the Sunday that we're talking about it. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here, and here's why. Because what we're really navigating in our heart is how do we have a relationship with a God who is beyond us when our life is so uncertain? How do we have a relationship with God during uncertainty? That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, or if you've been here the last two or three weeks, you know that what we're doing in this series, Activate, is we're going all the way back to where Christianity began. 2,000 years ago, when Christianity was activated, when faith was activated, when the church was activated. And what we're learning is... During the original days of the church of Jesus Christ beginning, Christianity that we are here to celebrate today, that we are here to participate in today, it began in one of the most historically uncertain seasons of history. But here's what's unique. Maybe you've never connected these dots. It was not only extremely uncertain, those who followed Jesus made a decision to be extremely generous. Despite the uncertainty, that may just be what actually activated Christianity. And we're going to look at that today and see what that means for us today. Maybe the atmosphere, the environment we find ourselves in is the perfect environment through which God moves our faith forward. So with that said, I want you to grab your Bibles if you would. I just, I just really want you to see this verse. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. We're going to look at page 882 if you have the pew Bible. By the way, somebody told me right before the service, Mark, if somebody's here and they don't have a Bible, let them know they can take that Bible as our gift to them. And that person said, and I will personally replace all the Bibles that are taken. So that's a gift to you from this person. If you don't have a Bible, please take it with you as our gift to you today. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 Think about the circumstances of the early church followers. Now listen, they were under the Roman Empire, an intimidating authority. You, you talk about governmental pressure, you talk about division. They're a nation of Israel under this governmental authority that's an empire beyond Israel. They aren't fans of the Roman authority. It's very oppressive for them. And they also have all this religious, religious division. You think about they got Pharisees, they got Sadducees, they got the Jews, they got the Gentiles, and then you got this pocket of people over here who are following Jesus people of the way they would call them what are they doing and what are they about where they're the ones who in the midst of all this uncertainty are following this local rabbi who ends up being arrested who ends up being mocked he ends up being beaten he ends up being publicly crucified and when he's crucified and buried guess what these Jesus followers did they scattered because they're scared to death they think they put their money on the wrong horse they think they've messed up and they think that he's not going to rise from the dead. You know why we know they thought that? Because when he rose from the dead, none of them were there. They had no reason to believe that he could do something they had never seen. And then three days later, when he rose from the dead, 
he immediately went to them, and now their world is completely turned upside down. They don't know what to think, what to believe, what not to believe. There's Jesus. He was dead. I've never seen anybody do this. And so Jesus speaks into this moment of uncertainty in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And I think it's what he would do if he were here today. In the season of uncertainty, we find ourselves in 2022. Look what he does in verse 3. After his suffering, Jesus is suffering on the cross. He's died, he's been buried, and then he rises again. He presented himself to them, and he gave many, say these next two words with me, convincing proofs. Now, why did he give multiple convincing proofs? Because they didn't believe him. They kept thinking, wait a minute, is this an illusion? Am I dreaming? This can't be that he was dead. We know that he died. How can he be alive? Like, they needed convincing proofs because it seemed so supernatural because it was supernatural. And then, knowing they would struggle with this, watch what he does. He actually not only gave them convincing proofs that he was alive, but he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. In fact, later on, Paul would reveal that it was at times to crowds as big as 500 people, and he spoke about the kingdom of God, or he taught them some very important things. Now, if you're in the presence of someone who was dead and now they're alive, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Is this person Jesus, this local rabbi who did these miraculous things but then died, but now rose again, is he God as he claims to be? And if you believe he's God, then you have to believe the things God says. And this is the journey they're going on for these next 40 days as he continues to speak about the kingdom of God. They keep going, wait a minute, this isn't a good guy. This is God himself. And all of a sudden, something is beginning to switch within them. He's not just God, but what he says is true. And knowing that, watch what they're worried about. Look down at verse 6. I want you to see what they gathered around Jesus, who's risen from the dead, and gave the convincing proofs, and speaks into this uncertain season that he can conquer death, that he is in control of the future, that he is the promised Messiah. And they asked, Lord, are you, at this time, going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to fix the governmental problem? Now, you and I kind of giggle at that. Like, that's kind of like losing perspective a little bit, right? But let's be real. If Jesus were here right now, and we could go out in the lobby after the service and just sit down and talk with Jesus, the Son of God, wouldn't we ask about current events too? God, God, God what's your plan for the pandemic god what's your plan for um you know politics and all the division in our world god what's your plan with the financial markets god what, what's your plan for our future location like we would ask about current right that, that's what we do we live in the moment because it's all we can see jesus seeing eternity past and eternity future has a much bigger perspective that i'm not even aware of and watch how jesus when they speak into the uncertainty because they saw the uncertainty as a challenge Jesus responds to their question about right now. But yeah, but what about right now? And look what he said to them. He said to them, in fact, would you just say, uh, all the way through the word no, would you just read this phrase, what Jesus says to them? Say it out loud with me. It is not for you to know. Is that not the worst answer you've ever heard from Jesus? Yeah, but I just need to know about what's next. And Jesus looked at them without blinking an eye and said, it is not for you to know. Well, that's not helpful at all. Unless I'm seeing uncertainty differently than how Jesus is seeing uncertainty. 
I'm uncertain, but he's not uncertain. And he's okay with me being uncertain because he's always certain. You follow that? Uncertainty. You see, when it comes to uncertainty, I think this is fascinating. I see and you see, we see uncertainty as a problem to solve. God sees uncertainty as an activator of my faith. This is where the gap is between what I know and what I don't know. And I want to fill it with knowledge. God wants me to fill it with faith. And he says, it's not for you to know. What you do need to know is, I rose from the dead. I kind of got this. You got to trust me. And you got to trust what I said, even when you can't see the way forward. Whew. I look at those early Christians and I kind of feel for them because I think a lot of us feel like that's kind of where we are right now. Where Jesus is saying to us over and over again, well, that's not for you to know. And I still want you to trust me. And so what happens over these next 40 days is fascinating because at some point, these early Christians, they chose to do something profound. To trust what Jesus said more than what they saw. Because there was a lot they couldn't see or understand or make sense of. And they had a decision to make, and they chose to trust what Jesus said anyway. And I think this is what triggers generosity. In fact, I think more than that, evidence that we are trusting what Jesus said more than what we see is evidenced in our generosity. And this is where the early Christians did something unremarkable. In extreme uncertainty, they were extremely generous. And I want you to see it. In the next chapter, we're just a few days forward from this conversation with Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, look with me at verse 45, and you're going to see those early Christians do something really unusual in this uncertain atmosphere. In fact, it's so uncertain, they're not far from having to flee persecution and flee the country to save their lives. That's how uncertain the environment is where they're living in this time. And yet... You would think they'd be putting rags up and trying to protect the house from dust. But instead, look what they did in verse 45. It says, they sold property and possessions. Where you're like, well, of course they did because they're about to go on a trip. They had to have had a great garage sale. I mean, they're, they're wanting to, 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 to have some resources to make the trip. No, they sold property and possessions. Look at the rest of that verse. To give to anyone who had need. They saw people around them who had needs. And you know what they thought? My property is not something to protect. My resources are something to provide for those who are in need. It's a different way. And you say, well, how could they have done that? Maybe it's because they had already seen Jesus conquer death and they realized I have a limited time on earth with a limited amount of seed and I want my legacy to be that I trust what he says more than what I see. And that means all this stuff, man, it's temporary stuff too. And I'm going to use it to further his kingdom, to further his work. It's a real different way to look at how they lived. And I just want to say, how did that play out? What did the generosity of the early Jesus followers who were in uncertain times and they were doing extreme generosity, how did that play out? What did it produce? Well, we, we've already seen how thousands have come to Jesus throughout the generosity over the next few years. But what I want you to know is as that continued to build and catch momentum, their generosity to trust what Jesus said more than what they saw, if you fast forward 100 years in the 2nd century A.D., there was a great plague that wiped through 
the Roman Empire. And 25% of the entire empire, historians tell us, perished. Now what does it have to do with Christian generosity? While people were fleeing those who had this plague, Christians were running toward them. And they were sitting with them and meeting needs, many of them giving their lives because they believed their lives were temporary anyway. And in the generosity of these Christians, in spite of the death that they would face, Christianity began to spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire and really saw its peak over the next hundred years because it was in light of the uncertainty when they practiced extreme generosity because they trust what Jesus said more than what they saw that the faith moved forward in powerful supernatural ways it is the story of our faith is generated it's based on it originated with generosity it is evidence that I'm trusting God what you said more than what I see especially in light of uncertainty now, if you're new, I just want you to say, I want to say to you, we are not asking anything from you today. But if you're a Jesus follower and you're wanting to grow in your faith, we say we want to share Jesus and build believers. And when we say build believers, we don't want to just create believers, we want to build believers. And if you're building, if you're growing, that means you're continually stretching in this area of generosity to places that are uncomfortable in order to grow your faith, in order to not settle for just protecting and just keeping bad things out so you can keep good things in. Building believers are sacrificially being obedient. Why? Because this is God's plan. I love this. Giving to God's work, it aligns you with God's agenda. It did in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, and it does in 2022. You know why? Because God really, really cares about the vulnerable in our community. God really, really cares about the poor in our communities. God really cares about the needy who are around us. God cares about the poor. And when you participate in his work, you participate in his plan to care for the poor. That's one of the things I love about LifePoint is your generosity. We partner together to make a bigger impact than we could make alone. Sean shared a little bit. I want to share a little bit more. The Children's Hunger Fund. You may remember I had the boxes out there a little bit earlier this year. You all gave 5,500 meals to kids this year, allowing us to serve over 230 families and share Jesus with those families through your generosity. We also partnered with Shiloh Place, and that's an opportunity to provide dinners for moms and children right here in the county. Uh, Frisco uh, Children's Hunger Fund, McKinney, Shiloh Place, and then right here in Plano, Razor Elementary that Sean mentioned earlier. Title I School, Razor Elementary, right down the road for those who are in need. Financially, we provided snacks, as Sean said, during the star testing, gifts, uh, gift cards and, and prizes at the end of the year, staff and teacher celebration, and Thanksgiving and Christmas meals for these students so they didn't go hungry when they weren't at school. Why? Because when we give, we partner with God's agenda for the poor locally, but not just locally, but also globally. One of the things that we get to do because of your generosity in Haiti is we get to support 52 kids monthly with food, clothes, shelter, health, and education. Job training, transitional houses for orphans who are aging out of the orphan village, you're providing that kind of transitional uh, housing and training. In the Philippines, there's ongoing monthly support for 12 churches and pastors because of your giving. And in Mexico, there's a church plant training 
water filters and food distributions because of what you are doing, we are doing together. So all that to say, when we give to God's work, we join God's plan to care for the poor. He has a heart for the poor. So now we come back to you individually. How much should you give? Where should you give? And how do you give? All questions that you want to wrestle with God and find those answers. But I do want to suggest to you that when it comes to giving, that we ought to prioritize our giving. In other words, intentional, scheduled giving makes a much bigger impact than spontaneous, occasional giving. Intentional, scheduled giving makes a much bigger impact than spontaneous, occasional giving. And you already know that because you don't go to your lender of your mortgage or your, your, the, the owner of, of your car if you've loaned a vehicle and you don't say, you know what, I'm going to give when I just feel it, kind of spontaneously. It'll be occasional, but you're going to love it when I do. You're going to feel great, right? And they're going to go, well, good, because you're going to love it when we foreclose and when we repossess, right? The point is, I think we as a culture, something is, is important to know is that you automate what's most important to you whether it's Netflix, whether it's your mortgage. And I just want to say, when it comes to your local church giving, to automate what's most important is to prioritize being part of God's work. Secondly, I want to say, not only that we would prioritize it, but that we would participate in percentage giving. Percentage giving. Now, some of us didn't grow up with that, and that's a foreign concept. That's not something that we're as familiar with. And we talk about the word tithe, and you think, now, what is that? I heard somebody just uh, over the last week or two, they were, they, were, they were coming, and they were just asking, what does the word tithy mean? And I said, man, I love just being reminded that this isn't something that some of us grew up with, this whole idea of a 10%. And, and I can be, be honest, because you may be wondering, does that still apply? Is that, is that like a New Testament thing? Is that something that... That, that, that you believe scripture teaches. And, and I think that I could shed a little bit of light on this subject very quickly and just say it this way. I could present the history of the Old Testament principle of tithing and how the Levitical law reconciles with the New Testament theology of grace. But it's not necessary and you're not interested. I know that. So let me just make it as simple as I can First, it begins with understanding this principle, that when it comes to my resources, knowing that God is the manager, and I'm just the steward, God is the owner, rather, and I am the manager. I'm just a participant in what he's doing. In other words, it's all from him, it's just not all for me. And this is where it's challenging to go, yeah, 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 but I worked really hard, I got the education, I've worked really hard, I've worked long hours, I've taken the risk, isn't it kind of by me? Well, there may be some truth to that, but had you been born in a different country, in a different era, you would have had no opportunity to have what you have. There's no doubt it's from him. He has blessed us. And so with all that said, I think we can just represent it in a real simple way. Uh, if you're like me, I'm kind of a simple guy, I like things really clear. So what I've got is 10 $1 bills, and so let's just envision that God has given you $10. By the way, there we go. All right. You don't want me coming over for your poker night. I have a little problem with that. I look at this and I say, okay, I've got 10 $1 bills from an amazing God who's blessed me. How great is that? God, as you look at these $10 bills, what do you want from me? 
And God says, I want one. You say, one? Is there some magic in that number? I don't know. God didn't reveal that. It's not for you to know. But what about the other nine? God, you surely you want more than the one. He says, no, I just want the one. Well, God, what about the other nine? He says, you do whatever you want with the other nine. That's yours. So you're saying, God, you've given me ten and you only want one back and I get to do? Yes. It's almost laughable how generous God is to us. And yet, did you know that we all struggle to give it up? And I don't think it's just because we're greedy. I think it's because we have this shadow of uncertainty in our future here that we, instead of giving this one, he, and then we pull it back and go, I don't know. I don't, and after a while, we just haven't given it. And after a while, it just, it's easier to not give it. And did you know in the American church, over half of the people who attend the typical American church give nothing to their church over the course of a year? Not a little bit, not a small, nothing. In other words, we struggle with the dollar he asked for. Not, because we're, not just because we're greedy, but because there's so much uncertainty. What we're doing, I believe, is what Jeremiah Clary was doing. We're trying to put the wet rags around the doorframe and go, God, just in case, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's coming, but I just need to protect this. Or maybe I've seen abuse. Maybe I've seen things done wrong. and I just don't want to mess with that. And you know what Jesus said? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said that God's greatest competition for your heart and mine would be money. He said you cannot serve God and money. He knew it would be the greatest competition for our heart. Isn't it interesting? This is where we struggle and this is where we kind of squirm and this is where we get a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's because it really is a spiritual journey. And God knows this is the difference where we're beginning to trust what he said more than what I see. God, I don't know how this is going to make any sense. But I'm going to take a step just like those original Jesus followers did. Because I don't want my legacy to be that I didn't trust you. And I want to tell you, I think one of the things that breaks my heart is knowing that so many of us are just handcuffed in this area. And we wrestle with not experiencing a relationship with God that we desire. And I would suggest it's hard to enjoy a relationship with a God I don't trust. And that's why Jesus immediately came to those Jesus followers and said, I rose from the dead. I rose from the dead. I'm going to be faithful. Your future is in my hand. They said, yeah, but what about, what about this stuff? And he goes, it's not for you to know. Your job is to trust me. And when you trust what I said, more than what I see, you'll experience the impact that you really want to be a part of. Now, back to 1931 in Jeremiah Clary. I want to wrap up with that story. Turns out he did decide to go ahead and plant that last remaining seed. Even though there was so much uncertainty around the Dust Bowl. And a few months later, he's sitting on his front porch in his rocking chair, and he's looking over a field of golden, shimmering fields of wheat. And he smiles as he remembers back to that moment when he was wrestling, do I give this up or do I hold on to it? And now he smiles because today is harvest day, 
And that field of wheat will become the largest crop of wheat ever produced in Harper County. And I just want to say, as a pastor, I have had a front row over and over and over again watching God provide for his people when they take a step of faith. And I want to tell you, you know where joy comes from? Joy comes from knowing that my future is not in the hands of COVID. Joy comes from knowing that my future is not in the hands of economic turbulence. Joy comes from knowing that my future is not in the hands of a Supreme Court decision, a presidential election, or any Congress, Senate decision, politics, doesn't matter. My future's not in their hands. My future, here's where joy comes from, is knowing that my future is in the hands of Almighty God. A God who sent his son Jesus to die for me and then rose for me. I can rest. Amen. One day I believe our greatest regret will not be that we gave too much. I think even Jesus' followers in the end will wish they had given more. Will wish they had in extreme uncertainty been extremely generous and trusted what Jesus said even when they couldn't see it. I love what PG says. He says, do your, living while you're, do your giving while you're living while you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> Is that not Pastor George? It's a trust, it's a will, it's stocks. Maybe it's just what you're, what you're earning right now. Do your giving while you're living so you'll know where it's going. I love that. At some point, you got to decide, will I trust what Jesus said more than what I see? And he promised he would provide and he would clothe us, he would shelter us, he would feed us. He does that for the birds, he'll do that for us. But will I trust him in light of uncertainty? So let me ask you something really practical. What are you afraid of? What do you fear most about generosity? Are you like Jeremiah Clary? You would just say, you know what, I, I just don't know. I, I, what if something comes and does this? What if, what if, what if? What do you fear most? Have you just taken that to God and said, God, this is what I'm afraid of? And just been honest with him and taking it before him? When you came in today, uh, you were given a card, and it looks like this. And on that, it says what you're currently given. And maybe you'd be honest and say, you know what, I'm, just not, I'm not participating in giving to a local church at all right now. Uh, and then maybe what's the desired giving? Again, this card I want you to know is for you to assess you, for you and God to do business in this area. You're not turning this into us. We're never going to see it. This is for you to self-assess. And then I've got four categories, only because I think that normally, for most of us, this is a progressive step that we take. Again, we want to be building believers. These are growing steps. And you might say, I am one of those, like most Americans, and I give nothing. And I want to start giving something. You get to decide what that is. Or you say, you know, I give something, but I don't give a percentage, and I would like to give 2%, 3%. I would love to start percentage giving. Maybe you give a percentage, and maybe it'll take a year or two to get there, but you say, I want to get to the place where I reshape my life to tithe. I want to give that dollar for every 10 I get back to the Lord. Or maybe you would say, I've been doing that for a long time. It's time for me to take another step to give offering, to be generous, to be extremely generous, even amongst extreme uncertainty. Wherever you are, that card is for you. Hang on, just hang on to that if you would. The truth is, 
without faith, this is what Activate's all about. It's about building our trust, about building our faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That's why they needed convincing proofs. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is a verse, if you want to take the next step, I want to invite you to consider memorizing this. And this is our last day in this series. And so I want to ask you, in honor of God's word right now, would you just stand with me? Would you say this out loud with me? And then I'll give you a warning. We're going to take the verse off the screen and give you a pop quiz, okay? I know you're excited. Say it out loud with me if you would. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven six. You ready? Let's do it. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Hey, pretty good. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. Well, here's what I want us to do as we wrap up today. First, I want to ask you just to be seated. We're going to close with a song, but we want to do something a little bit different today. I know that you're here and you fear some things about the future. That makes you very normal. But I want to say what Jesus said and just echo it again. He's alive. He's on his throne and the whole world is in his hands. And as you look toward the future in all of the unknowns, can I remind you what you already know? He's never failed you. And he never will. And when we look at these original Jesus followers and what God did, our prayer is, God, would you do it again? Would you use us and do that again? Would you make a difference in our world because of your faithfulness through us, your people, in this season of uncertainty? May we trust you like they did. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.